When we started out, we made it clear that the scripture declares that as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. There's a consistent pattern in our lives that we are our hearts. And after a while, the true you will be seen and known because that will be reflected in your life as it proceeds from your heart. The scripture also speaks about where do these, all of these things. It's not, what the, it's not what goes in you that defiles you. It is what comes out of you that defiles you. And so as we have gone through, and uh, for me personally, there has been a lot of challenges and changes, uh, especially on the matter of attitude. Uh, we said it last week, if you have a bad heart, then you will probably have a bad life. If you have a good heart, uh, we believe that you will have a good life. Not measured by men's standard, by the standards of the Lord, though. And so the heart directs the life. And you are today where your heart has carried you. And if I see you 10 years from now, it will be where your heart, heart has brought you. And so if you want to change the direction of your life, then we must change our hearts. Amen? Uh, before the pandemic, I think in 2018, we, we did a series called Unbiblical. And it was a series that looked at scriptures, or not scriptures, looked at things that people say are in the Bible that were not really in the Bible. For example, people say God helped those who help themselves. The Bible says that God helped those who help themselves. You remember that? But that's not actually in the Bible. Alright? But people quote it like a scripture. We also did a sermon on a, a verse that people changed. It says, rend your heart and not your garments. But a lot of people say, render your hearts and not your garments. Do you know that there's a difference between render and rend? To render is when they use the shovel on the wall to smooth off the wall in masonry. To rend is to rip apart or to tear. And so for persons who believe that the scripture is saying you ought to rub off your heart, uh, that could work, and not clean off your clothes, it's, it's not actually what the scripture is saying. The scripture is speaking in the context of tearing apart your hearts because of the state that you're in. You need to really get deep down in your heart and make the necessary change because there is pending judgment from the Lord. That is the context that it was used in Joel. And so this morning the title of the sermon is Rend Your Hearts. And um, you have your note sheets. It's going to take me a little while. You know how the sermon is. All right, it's a three-pointer. So if you play basketball, it's from outside the circle that we'll be shooting. Three points. Um, and if I take five minutes to do each, that's 15 minutes. So we should be out of here in 15 minutes. Just that I have an introduction that's around 40 minutes. Right, and a conclusion that's an additional 20. So um, you can calculate by that. And I hope you carried your lunch um, because... We will be in here for a while. I'm just kidding. That, that, that will happen. But um, if you would with me, please turn your Bible to Joel. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. If you don't have a Bible, the overhead will do. And if you can't read what's on the overhead, may God help you. Um, so 
Joel chapter 2. We're going to be reading from verse 11 to 14. As usual, I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of the word. And um, we're going to read God's word together. Then you get to sit down and listen to the spirit of the Lord as he speaks and ministers to you. Hallelujah. Come on, just lift your Bibles up. If you have it on your phone, that's fine. If you have it on a tablet, that's fine. If you have it in book form, that's also fabulous. If you're online, you can do likewise. You're at home and you're watching. Just stand to your feet. Lift your Bibles up. Joel chapter 2 from 11 to 14. Declare with me that this is God's word. Not Pastor Omar's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are opened, and I better not go to sleep. I will never be the same in Jesus' name. All right, so let me read for you as you remain standing. Verse 11 says this, The Lord is at the head of the column. He leads them with a shout. This is his mighty army, and they follow his orders. The day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can possibly survive? Verse 12 says, that is why the Lord says. Now, that is why, I know in your Bibles there is a break. But there is no break in the original scripture. So, when verse 12 begins by saying, that is why the Lord says. It's connecting verse 11 with what is going to come after. So there's a connection with the day of the Lord is an awesome, terrible thing. Who can possibly stand it? Because of that, this is what the Lord says. Right? Make, make sense? So the Lord is, because this is such an awesome, terrible day, the Lord is going to give us some advice as to what to do. It says, turn to me now while there is time. Give me your heart. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. Don't tear your clothing in your grief, but tear your hearts instead. Your translation says, rend your heart, but not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is merciful and compassionate. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He is eager to relent and not punish. Who knows? Perhaps he will give you a reprieve. Sending you a blessing instead of this curse. Perhaps you'll be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord your God as before. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Indeed, your word is truth. We humble ourselves under your mighty hand. We decrease so that you would increase. This is not about us. It's all about you, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And so we ask you, Lord, to open our eyes this morning so we can see your truth. Open our ears to hear your voice. Our minds to understand your word and our hearts to receive everything you have in store for us. 
We want to be more than mere hearers of your word. We want to be doers also. So put the strength in us to do your will and to do your word. God, we give you all the glory. We give you all the honor. And we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. There, there are two underlining t- themes that run throughout all the books of the minor prophets and Joel is one of the minor prophets and you have the Amos and the Micah and the Nahum and all of these guys are minor prophets it's the last set of books in the Old Testament leading into, into Matthew the last one being Malachi so there are two underlining themes that run throughout all the books of the minor prophets the need for repentance and the hope for restoration So right throughout the Minor Prophets, two things are consistent. God is asking people to repent so that he, God, can restore them. But there is a restoration that God expects as well, which is similar to what the prodigal son did in the Gospels, where in John, where um, the scripture said, when he came to his senses, he said, I'd be better off in my father's house. And the scripture said he got up from where he was and he went back to his father's house. So there is a restoration that the people need to go through and there is repentance. And when that happens, then God will restore his original mandate on his people's life. You see, the truth is that God wants to restore his people with the blessed life that he planned for them under his rule. The plan of God has always been what was originally in the Garden of Eden before the fall of Adam and Eve. God's ideal is that man would walk with him in the cool of the day, experiencing what he declared over Adam. Be fruitful and multiply, subdue, have dominion. That's God's mandate. God wants us to live in that space, in every area of our life, in our marriages, in in our education, in our spiritual walk, in in our businesses, in, in, in using our gifts and our talents. God wants us to enjoy the blessed life. That's his original mandate and that has not changed. And so when repentance is spoken of and restoration, it is spoken in this context to get people back to where God wants them to be so they can experience what God wants them to have. But these people in the Old Testament, they had lost all that God had promised because of their rebellion and idolatry. Now, rebellion is very simple. Rebellion is to go up against the authority of God. Idolatry is a little bit complicated for us in this modern contemporary time to understand. And here is why. Because we don't believe we have idols. Because we don't see people bowing down to statues and poles. But I put it to you that the modern culture has more idols than what was in the Old Testament. At least we could name the four predominant idols are the six in the old testament there are so many idols now your job can be an idol pursuing education all of these things can be idols a car can be an idol because an idol is simply something that takes priority over god in our lives but if you ask anyone in this building do you have an idol in your life they will say no So because we don't see statues in front of us, we say we don't have idols. But we have them 
Because in our hearts, other things have taken priority above God. And so the people fell in a state that God said to them, you will need to repent and be restored so you can enjoy that which you have lost. Do you know, I'm going to give you a good example. I didn't do this in the first service. But do you know that there are things that you are living without that are rightfully yours that you don't know? And because you don't know that they are yours and that they are gone, you just live life without them. But imagine with me what life would be like if everything that God has for you, you were living in and enjoying. Imagine with me what that would be like. So let me break it down for you. I didn't think I needed to wear glasses. Because I thought I had perfect vision until the first time I put on one. I didn't realize what I was missing. I'm telling you, some of you, you think your eyes are good? Wait until you start wearing glasses. You, you begin to say, oh, all this time I thought it was pink. It's actually uh, purple. But, but, but you're not going to realize that until something gets added. Because you're doing well without it. Do you know that there was a man named Job in the scriptures that the enemy came and took many things from him? The scripture then said at the back end of his life that God gave him double for his trouble. And everything that the enemy took was restored double in the life of Job. Many of us today... We're living without many of the things that God has planned and prepared for us. And we don't even realize it. And he's saying to us this morning, if you come to repentance and restore the broken relationship with me, then you see these things manifested in your life. But the key to experiencing all of these things is repentance. The realization of our foolish deviation from God's will and a return to God's ways so we have this picture in the scripture of realization which is revelation an acknowledgement a turnaround repentance and a restoration a returning to God now every 12 step program including celebrate recovery and you know they have this um, program called teen challenge in Jamaica it starts with one main concept. You have to acknowledge. You have to acknowledge you cannot be helped until you admit you have a problem. Did you know that? Do you know, do you know when you go to the doctor? You go to the doctor and here's what the doctors do. They help you to diagnose you before they prescribe medicine for you. So the doctor asks you, they say, good morning, how are you doing today? And you say, I'm, I'm having a little belly ache. And they ask you, how long has your belly been aching? Then they ask you, which side of your belly? Then they ask you, what did you have to eat? And, 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 and then they say, alright, let, let us do some tests. In other words, you were the person who admitted that you were having the ache. You didn't just turn up in the doctor's office and they say, I can tell. By the look of you, I can tell that you're having some liver problems. You're having some... They don't. The person coming in must admit and acknowledge that there is a problem. And I need a doctor. So it is in scriptures. There, there must be a realization, an acknowledgement, and an admittance 
to the fact that we are in a bad place. So before restoration can take place, we must repent. Before restoration can take place, we must repent. Because restoration comes through repentance. Alright? So we, 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 we soon get to our notes. Uh, this is not in the notes. I want you to write it down somewhere. So you will remember it. Repentance is the key that unlocks the blessing of God in our lives. Repentance is the key that unlocks the blessings of God in our lives. If you want to enjoy the blessings of God in your life, there will always be a need to repent. But the people need to know where they are. They will turn around only when they understand the need to turn around. No amount of punishment will serve any good if the people do not know what's wrong. Without realization, nothing can be achieved with punishment. You can induce pain, but no change. It brings suffering, but no repentance. And that is why there is a flaw in the prison system. Because the prison system is not designed to bring people to change. It is to punish people for their crime. But they are not rehabilitated. Do you know if you punish a man who commits murder and he doesn't change, he's probably going to commit murder again. The ideal is to create systems that change people while they are being disciplined or punished. So that when the punishment is over, you have a changed individual. But if the purpose is just to apply punishment without change, then you will just cause the punished person to become a punisher for the punishment that they endured. People only enjoy punishment when punishment changes them. If they are not changed, they are not happy with being punished. You know why kids get rebellious? Because their parents spank them without helping them to change. So, this explains why the Lord took so long a time before he disciplines. This explains the need for the message of the prophets. They are wake-up calls to the people. So, rending, rending our hearts begins with realization. And that realization is to seek a fresh revelation of God. And that's in your notes. It begins with realization. And this realization can only come through fresh revelation of God's will. Simply put, if God reveals himself to me, I realize how messed up I am. Every time I experience God, I, I see God in, in whatever form. I see the works of the Lord God Almighty. It shows me that as human, I'm still flawed and there is a mighty long way to go. So here's how it works. When I think I'm 10 steps closer to God and God shows up, I realize how far I still am because of how great and glorious God is. So my moments of encounter with God 
brings me into a reality and a realization that I have work to do on my personal life. Do you understand me? That our standards are so far from God that the closer we get to him is the more we realize we need to change. I'm going to show you that in scriptures, right? So unless and until we realize this, we will not turn around because there would be no reason to do so. If you believe that you're okay, you're not going to change. You must, you must experience God and you realize how dirty and wretched and wicked we are. And I know you don't like those words because you like to be told how perfect and immaculate and spotless and blameless we are. But truth is we live in a world that's messed up. And we're all messed up people in need of a savior. Because this is the wisdom of God in discipline. With every discipline, parents stress on what is the right or the acceptable behavior. So this is the wisdom of God's discipline. God don't just come and, and, and walk around with a belt and say, I'm, I can't wait for someone to fall today. I can't wait for someone to make a mistake today. As soon as, you know, there's a, they, that's what the church does sometimes. They, they're just waiting for someone to make a mistake to say, got you now. Catch you. Long time. Act like you're perfect. Look what happened to you. That should have happened to you a long time ago. Bring it to your knees. Two, listen, we walk around hoping that somebody would mess up. So we can have a story to tell. God walks around. And he says listen. When that happens. I'm still here. Now you realize you need me more than ever. Now you realize how messed up you are. And how perfect I am. Here is what you do. So he comes and he says. You who steal. Stop stealing. And give to the poor. You who are lazy. Stop being lazy. Start working. Bless those who curse you. So every time he tells you to not do, he tells you what to do. Because punishment is twofold. Consequences for the action and the corrective measures for the action. One can't do without the other. It's like grace and truth. Every act of the kingdom of God should be full of grace and truth. Well, truth is, you deserve punishment. But grace says, here's what you do in return. Start being kind. Start loving. All of these things. You see, I, I'm, 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 I'm glad that this is how it is. Because punishment itself serves little good if we are left to guess what's the right thing to do. Can't be. So God tells us, read the New Testament. Every time God says, stop doing this, he says, start doing this. Peter, Paul, all these guys in their letters, they said this. But the church preaches, stop sinning, stop lying, stop this. Without giving people instruction what they ought to do. Punishment must come with lessons that helps to get people to the place of repentance and change. We tend to tell our children, don't do this or don't do that, don't shout. Don't run. But then we didn't tell them what they should do. Don't run means to stand still or walk slowly. Don't shout means to keep quiet or talk softly. And God has to belabor his 
point throughout the prophet. Prophet. So pray for a fresh revelation of God when you find yourself drifting away and losing the zeal to stay pure. Pray to God and say, God, reveal yourself to me. Because the more you see God is the more you want to change. The more you see God is the more you realize how messed up you are. And this is clear in the scripture. In Isaiah, Isaiah is a prophet. And Isaiah is one of those prophets in the scripture that there is hardly anything that is wrong about Isaiah in the scriptures. Hardly anything. Hardly anything is said in the scriptures from all the readings that said Isaiah did wrong. Except in this particular chapter, he comes to a reality, a realization. Isaiah 6, 1 to 5. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne. Remember, it's what? Revelation, right? So he has a revelation of the Lord sitting on a throne, right? Seated on a throne. Amen? All right, you're not up there. You have to follow in your Bibles, right? Because we, we, are, we, are, we, are, we are ahead, right? So... He is, he sees the Lord sitting on his throne. The scripture says the Lord is high and exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another. And they were saying, holy, holy is the Lord almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorsteps and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Isaiah, seeing the Lord, you know what the first thing he said? Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. Here's what it says in this. I have lived among a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Isaiah as good as he is, he sees the Lord. And immediately he said, Whoa! I'm messed up. God is too holy for me to think like I've gotten there. I have not. I'm messed up. And this is the reason why the Christian faith is not about good people. And I love that. Because the moment we believe, begin to believe that we are good enough, it messes up the whole Christian faith if it was based on that. Here's why. Because there's somebody who believes their level of goodness is better and higher than yours. And so what you'd have is categories of safe people. You'd have the good, the gooders, and the goodest. And the goodest who want you in their category... The good ones who don't want you in the earth. And you'll be settling at the good level. So people would be rewarded based on category A, B, and C. Because you'd have to do certain things to fit in the goodest. Certain things to fit in the gooder. And so God said, listen. We're not going to use goodness. All of you start at the same place. You have all sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. None of you are righteous. No, not one. We are all at the same place. And there is only one way to be saved. All of you come in the same way. And do the same thing. One standard for everyone. 
So nobody is more saved than the other. God says the world tells you to be good to get reward. I say to you, no, no, because you are good, because of my goodness in you, when you get to heaven, I reward you, not for the goodness, but for the good things that you do. So we will, God will give you a crown for your works, not for your salvation. The world says, listen, if you work hard, we'll give you a crown for your salvation. God says, no, get saved and we'll give you a crown for your works after your salvation. Man says, man, I'm messed up. I thought I was good, but now that I've seen God, I've messed up. Peter had a similar experience. In Luke 5, 68, when they had done so, the scripture said, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. See, when you come before the Holy God and you recognize our Holy and unblemished he is, you realize how sinful you are. And that realization leads to repentance. You see, the Israelites never ever experienced again the true blessings of God for their lives. Until they realized their mistakes and they turned around. The Lord steers up their senses through a, a graphic description of the invasion of locusts. And if we go back to Joel, we're going to read in Joel chapter 1. Just go there in your Bibles. Joel chapter 1. I, I, like, I, I feel like when I read this earlier this week, man, I felt like, oh my God, this is like Jamaica. It, it says this. The Lord gave this message to Joel, son of Petuel. Hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen all who live in the land in all your history. Has anything like this happened before? I'm telling you, the things we are seeing in Jamaica, we have never seen these things before. Like, uh, uh, listen, everything is changing. Right? Um, morally, it's like there is moral decay. I, I don't know if it is global, but all our standards are changing. Our schools now allow kids to you know, we had a formal system where you had to wear certain kinds of uniform and you can't do certain things with a year. You have schools now, the public high schools, where you can, you can wear braids. You can put on wig and you can go to school. You can put on nails and makeup. All of these things are now permitted in some schools. And people are saying, nothing is wrong with it because uh, uh, wig can't stop somebody from learning. Duh, we all know that. We're, we're not talking about your education. We're talking about law and order. And where there's no system of governance and law and order, people fall into moral decay. There has to be some standards. There has to be. And within the standards, we don't get legalistic, but there has to be. You can't wear every kind of pants go to school. Because one day you're going to be a police officer. 
And you, and if, if you practice rainbow pants, you can't serve and protect in it. That's the idea. If you're running it, it's going to burst. You won't be able to represent us on the global scene in a pants like that. It's the principle. It's not the education. We know you can learn whether you're clothed or not. Whether you're bald or you have a lot of hair. That's not the matter. But in every society, there must be moral standards that people operate by. And without that, we are going to decay. So I feel like Joel is like talking like he, this is Jamaica. He says, tell your children about it in the years to come. And let your children tell their children. Pass the story down from generation to generation. Verse 4 says, after the cutting, listen to this, after the cutting Lucas finished eating the crops. Lucas 1. Alright. Then he says, the swarming Lucas took what was left. Lucas, Lucas 2. Sorry, Lucas 2. Alright. After them came the hopping Lucas. Locust 3. And then the stripping locust. Locust 4. So he says, wake up, you junkards, and weep. Well, all you wine drinkers. And I said, man, Joel must have visited Jamaica. He must have visited Jamaica. I don't know if you know this, but everything is showing that the number one selling beverage in Jamaica up to March of this year is the good old white rum. That more of our teenagers are drinking than before alcoholic beverages. They are taking pills. All of these things are happening. Let's go on some more. Right? It says, wake up. It says, all the grapes are ruined and all your sweet wine is gone. A vast army of locusts has invaded the land. A terrible army too numerous to count. Count its teeth are like lion's teeth, its fangs like those of a lioness. It, it has destroyed my grapevines and ruined my fig trees, stripping their barks and destroying it, leaving the branches white and bare. So, God uses the invasion of swarms of locusts, which the people understand, to picture the devastation that would come when He punishes them through the real army of the Babylonians, the damage. Their cause is unbelievable. There was nothing left when the Babylonian came through. So God was warning the people, saying that there is problems coming. Is that God is warning Jamaica today that if we don't change our ways, things are going to get worse. Do you hear me? That's the warning. Because God foretells of his coming wrath. God always warns. Why? Because he relents from sending calamities. God don't want to do it. So he's warning. And he's warning and he's saying, change your ways. Change your heart. Rend your heart. His goal is repentance, not destruction. He wants us to change. The warnings are to change us. That's why God is relentless in proclaiming the same message over and over again through his prophets. You read the scripture, God keeps on saying it. Repent, repent, turn to me. As he's saying, I love you too much. I know the danger that lies ahead of you. Turn to me. So when the tragedy comes, it won't be any accident. When it happens, the people know it's from the Lord. Because God will act decisively 
against sin. But not before he gives ample warning. Amen? Amen. In, in the notes, right? Rending our hearts is about repentance. See the purpose of God's heart. Understand the heart of God. See, we see the intent of God's judgment. God's judgment, when he brings it, is for the purpose of repentance, not destruction. God wants to bring us to a place of repentance. So Joel says this, Rend your heart, your heart, not your garments, and return to the Lord your God. That is repentance. It's not what you do outwardly that God is concerned about. It's who you are inwardly. Psalm 51 verse 7 says this, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite spirit, O God, you will not despise. It means that when I get to a place where I realize that I'm not all that and a bag of chips. See, we, we, we think we have gotten there. We think we are, we are the it of the church. We think we are the it of the kingdom. That, that we, have, we have God's stamp of approval. In terms of we have a certain level of righteousness. That we are on the top tier of the righteous list. We are on the top tier of the holy list. Listen, the scripture is saying that be, be broken and contrite. Before God. The word repentance in the Greek. It's very beautiful. Because repentance is a change of mind. So I want you to just talk, let's look at the person beside you and say to them, you need to change your mind. Here's why it is important. Because, because repentance is a changing of your mind. It's a decision. Cultures are created by consistent practice and adherence to a certain thing. We have created a particular culture in our thinking. And so when we come into a life of faith, we have the same mind. Watch this. We have the same mind, but we have a different life because we have a life in Christ. But our minds control what happens. So if we want to live the life with the right mind, then we have to have our minds changed. Amen? Do you know that if your mind stops changing, it means then you stop repenting? Because if repenting... Repentance is changing of your mind. It means that your mind must always be changing, which means you should always be re. So then, repentance is not one a one-off thing or an occasional thing, because changing of the mind is continuous. Repentance then is continuous. It is more than just feeling remorse. Or being sorry. Or asking for forgiveness. But it is the decision to surrender to Christ. So let me help you with this. Do you know when you say, I am sorry, you have not repented? Let me, let me, let me ask you. Uh, do you know that when you say, I am sorry for something, you have not repented, right? Do you know when you acknowledge that you have done something wrong, you have not repented? Alright, so confession is not repentance. And ask and apologizing is not repentance. Changing your mind is repentance. In other words, if I say to my wife, I am sorry for the way I spoke to you, and continue speaking to her the same way, what would you say? I was not, I was not sorry. Because if I were sorry then my speech would change. So my I am sorry only matters when my mind has changed. 
My confession only matters when my mind has changed. As long as my mind remains the same, then I am sorry is a waste. It is a decision. Repentance is a decision. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Alright? You have to change from the inside out. Let this mind that is in Christ also be in you. We need a new mindset. There are many things that I used to believe were so. I'm going to give you a good story to explain this. There was a husband and a wife who, the husband asked the wife, Why do you bake the chicken every Sunday in the toaster? She said, Well, I grew up seeing my mother do it that way. So ask my mom when you meet her again, which would be her husband, mother-in-law. So they go to a family function and he sees the mother and he says, listen, I was speaking to Karen and Karen said, um, you know, she learned from you about baking chicken in the microwave, though we have an oven at home. She said, well, you'd have to ask my mother because that's how I saw her doing it. And I did it that way. So the, the guy asks his wife's grandmother, why do you bake chicken in the toaster? He said, well, I used to do it that way because we never had an oven and the only way to bake chicken was to put it in the toaster. And here it is, generations later, the daughter is doing the same thing. Not knowing that she didn't even need to do it that way because she had something else available. Do you know there are many practices we have that are wrong? But we have become so comfortable in them with everything that they are wrong. So we can't do the better things and the greater things we are supposed to do because we are stuck in our old way of thinking. We need to change our minds. That's repentance. It is about God's will over my will. About God's way over my way. A boy was walking home one day and along the road he saw some nice apples on a tree inside someone's yard and he quietly climbed up the tree and stole five apples. When he returned home, he felt guilty. He wanted to confess. So he went to his father. Have you ever felt guilt like you did something wrong? And oh my God, you felt guilty. This little boy, he felt guilty. So he goes to his father and he spoke to his father. His father wrote a verse on a piece of paper and said, All right, go and recite these scriptures, scripture verses five times for each of the apple you stole. The little boy started smiling and said, Is that all, daddy? Just recite these five verses? His dad nodded. So he said to his father, Dad, can I do it ten times instead? There are five more apples on that tree. Alright? So, so let that sink in until you get it. But, 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 but let me break down the moral of the story. The, the, the truth is that quoting the verses made no difference if the little boy don't learn that stealing is wrong and he needs to change. So what oftentimes happens is that human give disciplinary measures or punishment with no hope of changing people. 
I'd, 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 I'd share a good incident that happened recently. But I won't. But no matter how many scriptures you quote, if your mind not change, your life not change. Doesn't matter how much Bible you read. If the Bible is not reading you up, it don't matter how much of the Bible you're reading. Listen. Knowing what the Bible says is different from doing what the Bible says. Reading the Bible is different from living the Bible. So I've learned that my own way of thinking, I grew up believing that you need to defend yourself. And if a man stepped to you, step back to him too. And if you go to school and a youth to try body up, just tell him, say, wait until you pass me gate. When you come into God's kingdom, you are told, if a man hit you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. So there are two things to do. Take your cheek out of the way completely or stay and take a hit on the first one and turn the second one. So I've made up my mind. My mind change is I'm going to remove my cheek from the scene. Because I'm not at the place yet where I'm going to turn <laughs> the other cheek. So until then, I keep my cheek away. I've also learned, I've just given you lessons that I've learned how I have to change my thinking. That the one thing that breaks up most relationship is money. So I tell my family and my friends, I don't lend you money. Because I love you too much to lend you. So here's what happened. I don't lend what I can't lose. If I can't lose it, I ain't lending it. I will give you what I can. And you borrow from someone else. Because your relationship with me, watch this, your relationship with me is way more important than the money. And I'm not going to allow the money to destroy our relationship. Before I came into the kingdom, listen, if a court you need to go to, we are going to court because I want back my money. I, I want, it's a changing of our thinking. So, it really doesn't matter what we do. If there is no change of heart, there is no repentance. So, how do I truly repent? Joel says it twice. He says, return to me with all your heart. And in verse 13 of chapter 2, he says, return to the Lord your God. It is a returning. It's coming from where you have gone to where God wants you to be. This is enlightening because it is more than just running from sin. It is also running to God, running to the creator. It makes no sense. People just say, listen, I'm trying not to sin. I'm not trying to get close to God. You can't be stuck. In that place where the objective of your life is to run from sin. You have to run to God. Yeah, you have to run to God. If you go back to the Garden of Eden, what happened with 
Adam and Eve. The first thing they did was to do what? Hide from God after they sinned. When sin comes, what man needs to do is to run from it and run to God. Not to hide from God. So we run to Him. We return to Him. In fact, instead, and I've realized that turning to God is the only assurance we have that our turning from sin can be successful. What do you mean by that, Pastor? The only way... Let me break this down. You're going to to sin less is if you turn to God. Now, there are two things. It's not that you are without sin, meaning you're sinless. But I'm saying, in order for you to sin less, meaning less and lesser and lesser, for you to sin less, you need God. Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The things that I've overcome in my life, I've overcome by the grace of God in me. Every battle that I have tried on my own, I have failed and I continue to fail in it. I cannot do it on my own. And so if I want to overcome a sin, an area of sin, here's what I need. I need help. I need help, and that is the help of the Almighty God. And so that's the only assurance we have. Finally, rendering our hearts leads to restoration. To seek to return to the Lord. Return to Him. Isaiah and Peter, they experienced close encounters with God. And they changed, and their lives were changed. Every person that have encountered God, they have had life changes. Moses encountered God at the burning bush and the scripture said, and the people saw the glory of the Lord all over Moses. There was Jacob who wrestled with the captain of the Lord's army and he changed physically. He cha- even his name was changed. Saul, who was persecuting the church, he was on the road of Damascus and the angel of the Lord knocked him down. His name was changed and his life was changed. When you encounter God, there is life change. So we have what we call encounter weekends at the church. And, and really and truly, but the church can't make people encounter God. That has to be a person's personal decision and experience. What the church can do is create the kind of environment, create the place and the space of people to have that. That is why place is important. Because place was made before people. God made the garden before he put people in it. Place is important. You have to be at specific places at specific times. I want you to notice that Moses had an encounter in a specific place. You notice he was alone. Abraham and Isaac, he had to go away and bring his son further up the mountain away from the other people. Because one thing with people, they'll always want to pull you away from your encounters with God. And there's a time when you have to separate yourself from them so you can have that experience with God and then you come back down to meet them. Amen? So, so we need that. Because true repentance takes place because there's a turning to God. A revelation of God's glory. A revelation of God's holiness. Because repentance is a shifting of our weight from self to God. I can't bear this. I can't do this. I can't make it on my own. I can't live this life by myself. I need help. I don't know about anyone else, but I know I need help. I need help. 
I need the help of the Lord. And so I cast my cares on him. And this happens all the times. It's a constant encountering of God in our lives. Because repentance is nothing new to us. We have been doing it. We did wrong. Confess our sins. And we repented. We know that God forgave us. The problem is we have been doing this hundreds of times at the very least. And I've been doing it too. Almost on a daily basis. You have wrong thoughts and wrong attitudes. And I mean, it's just, it's just, I mean, the simplest of things. I mean, life can be so... On Friday, on Friday I had a very, had a very, had a long training and a long day. And I, I was coaching this team. And you can, no matter what you do, if you know sport, no matter what decision you make, people are going to have a problem. Because the person who don't start always believe they should. And the spectators always know more than you. Right? Some day, and I don't know this guy, and he turns up. And man start calling, idiot coach, and we're going to put on this man, and he start carrying on. And the team is winning. And I'm like sitting like, am, am I missing something right here? You guys are winning the game. The person who you said wanted to start, you wanted to start. He came on and he scored. What, what is the issue? You, you, you start carrying on. You feel great for yourself. Pack up yourself. And, and I'm there and I'm, I'm bearing it. And, and I know the Lord is saying, do not open your mouth. Go and meet me on the other side. And can I tell you? I responded to him. You know, I couldn't take it anymore. And I just said, hey man. Just go from your son, man. Move from your son, man. With your heap of talking, talking. And like, in that moment, in that moment, like, the Lord says, you see what I'm talking about? You're not there yet. And I said, I apologize. Not to him. Don't, don't, don't get there yet. <laughs> I'm having a conversation with the Lord. <laughs> I'm, I'm being honest. But, so, but now I moved to the other side to avoid him. You know, I could have avoided it. I'm saying this because I want us to know that as sinful as that is, because it is sin, it is showing that we are still flawed. Here's a good thing. When I have those encounters and experiences, and I go to God, there's a benefit in it. Because the more I run to God... And receive his healing. Listen. Is the less I'm going to sin. Amen. You see I'm better now than before. What makes the difference? It is the constant turning to God. Because God's desire. Is our return. And that's why daily time with God is important. That is why we have our devotions. At 6 o'clock in the morning. For 30 minutes. It's important that we read scriptures. And we pray. Our worship of God is crucial. Close encounters. With God brings repentance. Isaiah 57 verse 15 says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God is saying, listen, where I live, you can be if you are lowly and contrite in spirit. If you're at the place where you say, God, I know that I'm not there yet. I need your help. God says, listen, that's the kind of heart. That's a heart 
that someone has rent. And you have torn it apart. You're broken. You're contrite. You're torn apart. And God says, that's the heart I want to work on. Because you have a knowledge that I am not there yet. And I need Jesus. And you are making a conscious decision of your will to change the way you think. You see, he is the strength we need. And the more we turn to God, it's harder for us to turn from him. It's harder. If you're married, you understand this. That in the hardest time in your relationship is when you need to love the strongest. Because the stronger you love, the harder it is for you to separate. But when your love changes, it changes the relationship. And one of the things that we're not perfect with my wife and I is that when, when things are tough, is when we know we need to love the most. Because things fall apart in the tough times when love is not strong. Listen, I know this when it comes on to God. That here's the thing. Listen, when things are tough, I don't want to run away from God. I need to run to Him. It's in your most embarrassing sin that you run away from Him. Look at the scriptures. Naaman was leprous all over. The lady had an issue of blood and she went through the crowd. The friends put the paralyzed man down the window. You just checked. Zacchaeus was short and a criminal was stealing money from the people. And he went up and he was, he was up there and Jesus called him out. Listen, there's something about a person who when they are broken and at their wit's end, they still say, Lord, I need you. And he comes in. You see, it's what happened to Jacob. He was at the point where he feels like, oh, what have I done to my brother? How, how cruel I must have been. And he wrestled with God in that place. Moses, after spending 40 years in Egypt, he was out in the wilderness for a next long period of time. And here it is that he must have been frustrated. I was prince. I was on the up and up. I was defending the people and look where I am. And he encountered God with all that shame. So the thing is, the church has for too long made people feel ashamed about repenting. They have made people feel like for you to be running to God for sin every day, something is wrong with you. But God wants to assure us this morning that there is no other place to run to than to him. You see, the church ought to be a safe place where a person who has fallen over and over and over again can come. The issue we're going to have is that when people believe, because I've fallen so many times, I need to run away. This is not an excuse for people to sin. It's a reason for the church to love stronger. Because if when people are failing, we push them away, then we are the kingdom's worst enemy. People don't need us when they are doing well. They need us when they are down and out. And Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost. And so, what do we do? There are consequences for action. But we also teach people the love of God and what to do right. I'm not here to tell you to stop, 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 stop. See, and that's why I thank God for this church. We don't tell people what to wear. We don't tell them how to dress. Because if you put on the right clothes, but on the inside you're wearing the wrong one, you have not changed. 
Do you know there are some people that dress right to come to church, but deep down in their heart they don't believe that's how they're supposed to dress? That's hypocrisy. Let me say it again. If you want to wear nothing to church, and because of people, you wear something, but deep down in your heart you don't want to wear anything, you're a hypocrite. You either need to change your clothes or change your heart. But you need to be one. Because both things can't be true. So someone will come to you in the church and they'll say, listen, I mean, you know, I like your dress, but it's a little bit too short. Why don't you? And, and that's fine. But it's up to you. If you want to wear it back next week, you wear it. Because if God can't change you, the pastor and the members of the church won't be able to do that. Here is where the difference is. I'm telling you that there needs to be a mind change. In, in the church in Jamaica, many of us have problems. There was a time when if, if you're a male and your hair was plotted, you couldn't do anything in church, right? If you had tattoos, you couldn't do anything in church. If you had piercings and you're a male, you couldn't do anything in church, right? You remember we're coming from that and there are still some churches that practice that. The amazing thing is that almost all the songs from the contemporary artists that we listen to, they have tattoos, piercings, and they do all that kind of crazy thing with their hair. And we play them in the church, but don't want people to come and worship when the music is playing. What's the point? Allow people to keep running to God. Because when they run from sin and they run to God, God brings a life change. I want to bow your heads with me as we close. I want to pray for you. And if you're here and you know that where you are today, you know deep down in your heart that this, this is not the place for me. God has more for me than I am executing in my life right now there's a bigger plan, a bigger purpose and maybe you are one of those persons who you were raised in a church setting that's your early background and you know even back in your young days you used to pray and you would see people healed and you would go around and just do great things for God and some way on the path of life series of incidents happened and you're not at that place and there needs to be a restoration. You need to return to God so that the former glory that you walked in and experienced can be returned to your life. And maybe there are some things that you have lost. Maybe you have lost a relationship. Maybe you have lost someone you love. Maybe you have lost finances. Maybe you have lost time and you feel like so much of my time has been wasted in a particular thing. Listen. There's nothing that God cannot restore. And he says, listen, just, just change your mind. Just change your heart. Just repent. Just be in that state of continually repenting. Perpetual repentance. And if you're at that place, God says, I will restore you. I will restore everything that you have lost everything the enemy has robbed you of the gifts of the spirit 
He will bring you to a place of greater love where you love stronger, where you'll be more patient and self-control. It is in Joel that the scripture says, and in that day I will pour my spirit on all flesh. And if that's you and you say, God, you know what? I know. I, I Deep down in my heart, I know I need a heart change to get back to the place that you want me to be. I need a deep heart change, Lord, so I can get to the place you want me to be. Right there in your seats. With your, you, you just, just lift your hands right where you are and just, just start out with the prayer that David prayed. He said, God create in me a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Just, just ask him to forgive you and say, Lord, I make a conscious decision to change my heart, to change my mind. I render my heart this morning so that you would come and restore. Just say, Lord, right now I repent. I turn away from every sinful thought, action, and attitude. And God, I run to you. Listen, if you have prayed that, I'm going to ask you to stand just for two minutes. And I want you to lift your hands and just, if you're a child of God, as the Lord, I just, just, God, just shower down your glory all over my life. So that I can be an instrument of righteousness for you in all the earth. Like Paul. I will be more radical for you than I was before. In the same way Jacob having experienced and encountered you. Change generation with your hands lifted to God. Cause your glory to fall on me. Hallelujah. Listen, I, I want to encourage you. I want you to know that your best days are ahead of you. I want to encourage you because if God were done with you, you'd be done. And the fact that you're here today, it means that God still believes in you. And there is yet work for you to accomplish for the kingdom. And he, the Lord, who has begun this good work in you, he will bring it to completion. And so, Heavenly Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. I thank you for every person with their hands lifted today. And I pray in the name of Jesus that with arms wide open, that God, you would pour your spirit upon them. Refresh, refill, and regenerate. Restore, Lord God Almighty, the spiritual things or the emotional things. Whatever they have lost, as they come to repentance, bring restoration in the name of Jesus. 
heal where their hearts are broken. I declare in the name of Jesus that their latter will be better than their former. Declare that if God be for them, then who can be against them? We thank you for you're not done with them yet. For eyes have not seen and ears have not heard. Neither has it entered into the heart of anyone the things you have in store for them. We thank you for the daily blessing of time we get to come to repentance before your pending judgment. You're the blessed God forever and ever and ever. Our glory, dominion, and power belongs to you, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah. May your will be done and your kingdom come in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Come on, just clap your hands for Jesus. Hallelujah. Listen, we, we meet on Tuesday evening at 6.30. Our ushers will be leading prior on Wednesdays. We have Bible study. But here's what I want you to do right before. As you're going, just, just elbow bump somebody with a smile on your face and greet somebody. Amen. Let them feel let them feel the joy of the Lord that is in you. Amen. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet and clap your hands for Jesus. Come on, don't give him any pot of cake. You can do better than that. Hallelujah. God bless you. Enjoy the rest of your day and have a wonderful week. I love you, Lord.